2: A kind of a cosmic queries on AI, sports, March Madness, and what happens if we take sports to other planets. I got Chuck with me, Chuck. Hey, Neil. All right. And the person who gives authenticity to the entire concept of Sports Edition, (laughs) Gary (laughs) O'Reilly. Gary. Hey, Neil. All right, an old footballer from the UK. I was browsing the internet and I found a wiki page on you. <laughs> with, uh, right there, you were on the soccer field and you were looking looking buff and with. He's got with sexy, great legs. Sexy He's got some legs. Great legs. <laughs> <laughs> Sexy legs, baby. Sexy legs.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: uh, interested in Gary, you can dig him up on the internet. So uh, we we don't have particular expertise in March Madness, uh, no. though we've done a lot of thinking about it. So we had to go to a man about town who thinks about this kind of stuff, and that's Matt Ginsburg. Matt, welcome back to Star Talk.
3: Thank you. It's great to be back.
2: Yeah. So Matt is like was a wonderkind. He was getting his PhD in math at age 24 from Oxford. Oxford, excuse me. God, you're such a slacker. (laughs) (laughs) Oxford, okay. Well, I Um, I took a year off at Caltech. Okay, (laughs) and I researched mathematical physics. My, My wife's specialty is mathematical physics. You're a scientist, an entrepreneur, an author. You've got a book out there, a fictional book, The Factor Man. I like fiction that is deeply informed by math and physics and the universe. And that's one such book where you introduced God's algorithm the secret formula that will solve all the problems of the world, and who and, and the fight to take command of it. I love the. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Love where that's going. Uh, also, one of your companies. One of, excuse yeah. me, excuse mm-hmm. me. Yes, I think those are called. What are they called? It's a humble brag. Humble, bra- humble yes. brag. When you hear uh,
1: someone say, "Well, one of my
3: companies," <laughs> <laughs> not all of the companies. right? Just exactly. one of them. No, it's uh, just I get I get bored so I start a company and it works and then it's like oh I gotta go do something else and I start another company that's why I have this you know trail of companies behind
2: me so, so, the, 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 instantially- another humble
1: brag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, just shut right. up there. Just, right. stop, just, just stop there. <laughs> right. Like, you know what? Uh, some people, when they get bored, they turn on television. When I get bored, I start a company. <laughs> I get bored, we're the potato chips. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that. Wait, so you provide statistical support for professional sports teams. In fact, we delved into that topic the last time you were a guest. I'll invite people to dig up that episode. And what I learned in that episode is you wrote a computer program that can enter uh, crossword puzzle competitions— and it's called, get this, Dr. Phil. Nice. F-I-L-L. Yeah. Very, yeah. very clever. I so uh, anyhow, uh, Matt, I just, let's, get, let's get straight to March Madness. Their brackets. You know, teams win. They, it's, it's win or go home. Is that right? It's, not, it's like single elimination, last I checked. And is there any way to predict the whole thing that you know of, that you've invented, that you can share with us? And you can if take. so, how how do you, how do you use it, and what do you do? We do, it's just, do we all need a PhD in math to make that happen? Can we get
1: Warren Buffett's money? <laughs>
3: so there you go. That's the real uh, Can we really get Warren <laughs> Buffett's get right, money? <laughs> get right down to the basic question. So my understanding is that in order to get Warren Buffett's money, you have to predict every single game in March Madness. Yep. And so I actually looked at this. I knew we were going to talk about this. today. I looked at this last night. And I think people look at this as you know what are my chances of winning and the answer is they're basically zero and I looked at it the other way around and I said let's say but the chance of winning have, would be the chance of getting every single game predicted yeah. correctly okay mm-hmm. so if you're if you're even money on any particular game then you have you know you have one chance one time in two to the 64 will you actually get them all right and two to the 64 is some giant number so you have no chance But computers are helping us make better predictions. So I thought, okay, what if I wanted to have a one in a thousand shot, which it's still not terribly good, but it means that if I get to try 20 times, then I have a one in 50 chance of actually getting it sometime in the next 20 years, which is sort of as far out as I can look. And it turns out that in order to have a one in a thousand shot at winning Warren Buffett's money, you have to be able to predict with 90% accuracy who's going to win any particular game. And some of the games, that's pretty easy, right? When a one seed plays the 16 seed, and you bet on the one seed, it's probably about 90%. So that's good. The problem is when the seven seed plays the eight seed, that game is really a toss-up, and getting to the point that you can predict that game with 90% accuracy
0: is really hard.
3: There are computer methods that will help, those computer methods, one of the nice things about them is they'll actually tell you how how sure they are. So you can put in all this information about two teams and say they're playing.
2: Wait, wait, did you, uh, you get to put in how are the players feeling today?
3: I mean, isn't that a so factor that you're not considering here? It is. And you can put in, obviously, I I mean, you could call them and ask. I don't yeah. know if that, that would actually help. Um. It would help them, you know? <laughs> you can, yeah, you can, you can pie, put in everything smack. Just want to know how you're doing today. <laughs> there you go. And um, <laughs> if they took the call... Did you have your coffee? You, did you get your eight hours right, of sleep? Um, I think that they, a lot of the information that you need is actually buried there. So, for example, one of the things that I've... You can put in whatever you want. So you can put in, for example, how many minutes of playing time did this guy have over the last three weeks? That's very important. And that's sort of a proxy for how tired is he? Yeah. And you can put in how many minutes he have over the last three weeks or the last three days? When was he last injured? How has he been playing recently? So all of this information is public. And you can, at least in theory, push it all into a machine learning system. And out will come, I think, this team is going to win. And the probability is whatever. Now, how? They typically, for a problem like this, they typically use something called gradient boosting, and that doesn't really help you much. Um, What they do... You mean
2: hearing you say that that it's gradient boosting doesn't help as much? Or does gradient
1: uh, boosting not help much? (laughs) I know, which which, which is it that doesn't help? (laughs) Gradient boosting
2: is
3: very slick, and but we need we need you to define it right okay yeah. so what you do the gradient the boosting part doesn't matter what it does is it says okay give me tons and tons of data about march madness historically going back as far as you have it. just buckets of data and then it says okay i have data on 400,000 games i'm going to take 1,000 of those games out and not look at them and it, I'm going to set them off to the side. And then it tries to figure out what tendencies there were in the 399,000 games it has left. And then it says, okay, this is what I think is going on. And then you go and you get the 1,000 games and you bring them back in and you check and you see how well did I predict. Right. Now, in order to get Warren Buffett's money... Because that's the the
2: objective of this whole program. No, it's not going Mm -hmm. to be in
3: a second. In order to get Warren Buffett's money, you need to predict these seven versus eight games with 90% accuracy. In order to get Vegas's money, you probably need to predict them with 60% accuracy. So if you're that good at predicting who's going to win these games, you should just go to Vegas. You, shouldn't, you should not try and win Warren Buffett's money. It's a, much, it's a much further reach. And it's not that much. I mean, it's a million dollars, right? Right. Yeah, yeah but a, y- you can, a year for the rest of your life. If you can predict, you can get that money from Vegas and it's easier. Right. If you can predict sixty percent of the time, because you just win come
1: every back time. every year and you get the money, you get the Vegas money every year. But Matt, if
0: we yeah. use that model you've just described, it talks to me about history. Now, from a player's point of view, that's great. It means nothing to me because we're not playing those teams. Those players are no longer playing. We're different players. This, for in my mind, that's history. It has no relevance to what is about to happen. If you look back
3: historically you will see that his that 5 years ago lebron james scored way more points than average and yes that's history but it certainly bears on today i mean he was just a better player and you can you can also look and you can gather information about how right old now is today he, he sucks right yeah <laughs> <laughs> how old is he how do people age how do people like lebron age and you can just, there is so much data. Now, Now, what makes it hard, the reason people don't just go beat up on Vegas with this stuff is because there's so much data. In something that happens with machine learning, when you have too much data, programs start what's called overfitting, which means they look and they say, wow, whether or not the Lakers won last year was correlated with the phase of the moon. Oh, dear. That is history. And that's just luck. But if you have so much data, some of it's going to look relevant when it really isn't. And the reason machine learning is hard is because you have to somehow filter that out. You have to somehow say, which of this actually matters? And one of the reasons people have this thousand games off to the side is because then they say, wow, the Lakers in the phase of the moon and look at the thousand games. And it's like, that didn't work. And then they go and they try again.
1: So you're using the the data uh, itself as part of the predictive model, kind of like what they do with climate. You you put in the history of climate to show whether or not the predictive models that you're using right now are effective. Yeah, that's right. right? That's right, that's right. But so
2: just, I want to emphasize something that you said, Matt, um, and you said it brilliantly and beautifully. Uh, I, I didn't want it to go by without sort of adding further punctuation there's a point beyond which you have so much data that you can find correlations that have nothing to do with cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And, and so you need enough ways to check against that to remove those correlations from the analysis. Is that a fair way to, to, to
3: summarize some of what you said? It is. And, and the effect is very real. I mean, you can, you can go online and you can, you can look for weird correlations and it, you know, it's things like the number of loaves of bread eaten in each year in Denmark is incredibly well correlated with whether the U.S. stock market goes up or down. Something, you know, they're they're just craziness. Mm-hmm. And and as Chuck said, it really is a matter of you have there. There are words for it. So you have one set of data. It's called the training data, and that's the data you use to build your model. And then you have this other set of data, which is called the validation data, which is the data that you use to test your model and see if it actually turned out to work. It's what you can't do. What it seems like you want to do is you train your data and you look at the validation data and it doesn't work because you were looking at the number of loaves of bread eaten in Denmark. So you make a new model that doesn't consider Denmark and you try that on your validation data and it doesn't work. And then you do it again and again and again until you find something that works on your validation data. Well, you've cheated now. Your validation data is sort of dirty because you've been using it over and over and over again. And your basic models think they're working with just the training data, but you're working with the validation data. So you're stuck. Right. So you need, right. you need clean data. And clean data is incredibly valuable because what happens, you have these 400,000 games, feels like a lot. And then you take 10,000 aside and say, oh, I'm going to hold them for validation. And you notice, ooh, maybe that's not enough. I need, a, I need another validation set. And you take 10,000 more aside. And then you take 10,000 more aside. And, and once you touch data, it's dirty forever. So how you split data up between validation and training data turns out to be important and hard. And it really matters that you not look at your validation data very often.
0: So, Matt, how many relevant data points would you expect someone to want to use for a, a decent outcome?
3: So, it depends on what you're trying to do. Right. Some things, you need huge data sets. So, if you're trying to predict it, with 90% accuracy, seven versus eight, you need at least as much data. You need everything. If you're trying to predict if a number one seed is going to be the sixteen seed, you probably yeah. going to buy a much less. So different problems require different amounts of data.
2: The one rule of thumb there is. Oh, by the way, somebody, somebody, or some committee seated the number one team as number one, and the number sixteen as number sixteen. So they're using data to yep. do that. Yes, and that data. So, so you're not you're not approaching those two teams from a pure. You, you are already biased by the setup for that. And I remember as a kid, and I would because <laughs> I didn't, I was kind of very literal. And they would say, oh, uh, Oklahoma upset Texas today by beating them in a basketball game. And I'd say, of course they upset them because they lost. And, <laughs> and so I didn't—the un- concept of upset was not—I didn't, didn't understand that it's because you won beyond the expectations of some group of people who decided that you should have lost. So th- does that add another sort of variable of unpredictability to what you're doing?
3: Sort of. I mean, the bottom line is that the the seating committee of the NC two A bracket is looking at very limited amounts of data. They're typically looking at who beat whom and perhaps by how much. Yeah. And they look at the you know how well did those teams do and the records of your opponents. But it's a it's a tiny amount of data relative to everything you actually could use, like how long have people rested, who's injured, where are they playing, and by on and on and on and on. And I would assume because if they
2: because if they were accurate, no one would ever be upset in a tournament.
3: And the only person who would be upset would be Warren Buffett because he would keep (laughs) losing. (laughs) But um, probably the data you would use if you were trying to do this seriously is a vast superset of the data that the March Madness guys, you know, the NC two A guys, actually use. There's something else that I think it's important to to realize here. And this has to do with how people solve problems and how machines solve problems. So I often draw a distinction between what I like to call a 99% problem and a 49% problem. So in a 49% problem, you're trying to distinguish between a 49% probability and a 51% probability. So the stock market. If you can only invest in stocks that are 51% to go up, you will make a killing. The stock market's 50-50, and just that little edge, you'll do phenomenally. 99% means you have to just get it right. So this my sort of standard example of a 99% problem is stoplights. If you identify 99% of stoplights correctly and just drive through the rest because you don't realize they're there, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. You're going to have an accident, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. So machine learning, the kinds of things I was talking about, Turns out to be really good on the forty-nine fifty-one problems and really bad on the ninety-nine hundred problems. Basketball is interesting, right? Because it's sort of in between. Stock market is on one side, traffic lights on the other side. People turn out to be pretty good at the ninety-nine hundred problems, and we're not so good at the forty-nine fifty-one problems. So,
1: so the the answer right. the answer is we're not getting that money. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck has been single-minded this
3: whole. Thing. The answer is. Um, you're probably not you might. Go go for it. Right. You have a you have a yeah. wanted a, yeah, yeah, go for a, it, yeah. chance. You might uh, yeah, I, know, yeah, go I don't, you, wanna, I don't want to spend your mortgage money on a chuck. chuck. That would be sad. Right. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Chuck. Chuck, go ahead. Uh, bet your kids 529 <laughs> on it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Guys, we gotta take a quick break, but when we come back, this is really a a, a, a Patreon Cosmic Queries for March Madness. And I want to get a few of those questions in uh, related to that. But also, uh, maybe we can think about sort of sports on other worlds and what that might Mm. be like when you start. Sports edition. March Madness. That's what we're talking about. I got Chuck and Gary here, guys. Yes. Hey. Yeah. And we can't do this alone. We needed someone who could bring the analytics into the house. And we've got our favorite analytic guy, Matt Ginsberg. Matt, always good to have you here. Yeah. On Star Talk. Uh, with his with his math PhD, just spilling it out, whatever he's got to do it. So hey, before
1: we get into it, let me just ask Matt something real quick. What's that? With with, with all of your cred,
2: plus plus, I want to ta- I want to take sports off world and see where that can where that goes too. Oh, cool! With
1: questions that Patreon members have, for oh, us. but go we so all this credit you have mathematically. Do you ever do you ever game the system? You know, with 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 any of your programming, any of your machine learning, any of your mathematical prowess, do you ever put that to work and just say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and make a little, little wait, wait more- Chuck. I have the answer so-
2: to no, it. I, I I I can answer for you, Matt. Here, uh-huh. so uh, either he's a miser, or the answer to that question is no, because look at the room he's in. <laughs> <laughs> there's no butler. There's no staircase going up to three level mansion. The dude is just in a regular room. So ah, I don't
3: it. know. So I don't know if maybe, that- So the the answer is the butlers in quarantine. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, it's not. It's not fun, right? I had, a, I had a friend who went and played blackjack in Vegas and counted cards and was very mathematical. And at the end of it all, he said he figured out that he had made 15 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. And it's such a grind. And I, I like, I'll tell you, the, the best Look, It's a grind that's making money. It's such a grind. Oh, The oh, best feel thing so that ever bad. happened to me in terms of mathematical abilities is my daughter uses me as a calculator. So I'll be walking around the house and she'll dad, what's 17 times 36. And occasionally we have house guests who look at her and they say, Scott, did you just use your father as a calculator? And she says, yeah, that's what he's for. So (laughs) that's great. Well, guess what? (laughs) How how old is your daughter? Well now she's twenty two.
1: Okay, I was going to say because at this point she's using you as a cash machine. <laughs> Dad, can I have seventeen times thirty six worth of dollars? <laughs> yes. that's, <right>. yeah. <laughs>
2: that's cool. All
1: right. Well, that's a good answer.
2: Yeah. All right. So, so give me that, Chuck. Who's got the first uh, Patreon question?
1: Um,
0: I don't care, Gary. You want to go All first? Right. Yeah, I'll jump in. So these are our Patreon patrons, our exclusive Patreon patrons, Nancy Diaz. Uh, she says, here's a shot at March Madness question. How can AI take into account things like motivation, styles Ooh. of play, and performance under pressure or other factors challenging to quantify in determining the outcome? The example she cites is Virginia's national championship win in 2020, given their embarrassing loss in 2019. So, Matt, what do we think? Can, is this sort of enrolled in your in your data points that we talked just about? Yeah, can you quantify
3: motivation? Oh. Probably, I mean, in theory, you can sort of quantify anything. Motivation probably shows up. Let me me look at this exact example. And, you know, in the data is going to be, well, how well do teams who got to the finals do if they lost in the finals the previous year? Mm. You've got a reasonable sampling there. And that's one, that can, you know, and then these machine learning algorithms that just, you just drop all the data in and they just Churn, churn it up and try and look for patterns. And if that's a pattern, it'll find it. I've looked for patterns like that and I've never found them. College exactly. athletes seem to sort of always be about as motivated as they can be because they love the game. They're trying to get into the pros. They're really working. But if there is a pattern, it should be somewhere buried in the data and you should be able to pull it out.
1: That's pretty cool, actually. And so what, hap- what happens when you have a team of four starting freshmen because there won't be any data on them.
3: So there's there's data on a variety of things. There's there's data on four starting freshmen. Wait, ah, wait, wait, wait!
2: You have the whole season behind them. What, what You have are you the season
3: about, I was about to say. You have the whole right. season behind yeah. you. By the time, you get yeah. to March Madness,
1: right?
3: Um, you have data on how does a freshman's performance in March Madness compare to a fre- that freshman's performance over the course of the season? Do freshmen choke?
0: Right. That's, okay. That's certainly- exactly. That's exactly a point that you need to recognize. Mm-hmm. Whether or not the, the the occasion crushes the player.
3: Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's that's cool about these machine learning algorithms, like gradient boosting, is you don't have to figure out what you're looking for in the data. You just pour all the data in, and the algorithms figure out. Oh, this is a pattern. Oh, that's right. a pattern. And they do the mental heavy lifting for you. Now they're stupid, so they might find some patterns that aren't really there. And that's an issue, but that's what this validation data is for. So you, in theory, they are these very general purpose algorithms that are capable of finding the signal in the noise.
2: Got it. Wow. So so it's not as though you are quantifying the thing itself, is you're looking at the statistics in the larger data set of the manifestation of that, uh, of that motivation, right? So, uh, so in other words, you can't go up, well, maybe you can go up to the one person, see they're really jacked. They gave a really good pep speech, pep talk. The coach gave a pep talk and now they're just going to win. You can't put that in after the fact, right? You don't know that you're not adjusting these, these, uh, the statistics in real time. You have to go in with the bet already placed.
1: Hmm.
3: I have to decide what data I want to put in and train the thing. And then what comes out is sort of how I'm going to make my bets.
2: Right.
3: And I'm Cause, not going to Motivational go coaches can
2: have, have their influence as well.
3: But that will be there, right? Because you'll see, oh, this coach, players playing for this coach do a little better when the same players went and played for a different coach. Mm-hmm. So this coach must be good. I don't know if it's motivation. Right. So I could imagine a world where for some strange reason on your 18th birthday, you can't play sports. You just you become uncoordinated on your 18th birthday. Exactly. And then it gets better. In the data, that might look like freshmen occasionally have a bad day because they turn 18 on their somewhere. Mm. And I wouldn't know if freshmen tend to choke because the pressure gets to them and they behave a little bit less evenly. Or freshmen, or there's this miraculous 18th birthday thing. Now, if their birthdays were in there, well, then I would see, oh, look, it always happens to people on the day they turn 18. And then it's because they got shit faced
2: th- that night of the birthday. <laughs> well, that Christmas. might be the reason. But, <laughs> but
3: it's there the kind go. of thing that, that's everything, everything is lurking in the data. Oh, it's very geez. difficult to imagine a phenomenon that that both matters. And is not somehow present in the data for you to tease out if only you knew how to look. So that's the that's lesson it. here, that's really. Yeah. All right, let's. Yeah. let's that it. is the lesson. All
0: yeah. right, let's let's fly this thing out of the atmosphere, shall we? Yeah. Uh, Abby Chris, heyo, oh, experts. He says I've been watching The Expanse, which made me think how we could we conduct basketball tournament with people who are from various planets and asteroids that have been settled by humans, like for example. Champions of Mars versus champions of Jupiter's moons. <laughs> right, now, this for me is interesting because you've got a whole new set of metrics to factor into your machine learning here. What are some of the things that we would need to think about to keep the field equal and fair for all teams? Love the show and everything. Keeping forming, fellows. So you're welcome. Wow. Man, Chris. So
2: let me just, as, as a way of lead into that. Um, so, so Matt, when people started training for the Olympics at high altitude no, it's not another planet, it's this planet, but it's a different environmental conditions under which their body is getting trained. And now they all go into the same stadium and some people outperform the others. So that's just an interesting uh, realization there that maybe the environment in which you train, the gravity, the air quality, mm-hmm. the air density, the, uh, that uh, can, can definitely show up
3: in your performance. I think that's right. And I don't think, we don't historically, I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen when we have people from Mars, but historically, we don't try to compensate for that. So, you know, Kenyans win marathons. Mm-hmm. It's just how it is. And and there is, but there's not anything in the rules saying that any Kenyan entering a marathon has to have ankle weights. To, to, oh, at, as,
2: as a As a handicap.
3: Right? As a handicap. There's nothing right. in the NBA to try and make it easier for short people to play. <laughs> Give them a it's step stool. just, just, nice. <laughs> it's just you put a little trampoline. The right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. So I think that if um, if Martians, you know, people from Mars have some physical difference that makes them better at a game, hopefully we will just celebrate with them probably it sucks to live on Mars so we'll celebrate with them that they're better
0: I mean you 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 love
3: watching marathons because the people who are so good are so good and I don't know of anybody I mean, I never bemoaned the fact that I'm, I'm not going to ever be a professional wrestler. It's just not going to happen. There's and
1: still I, time. There's still time, man. <laughs> Chuck, it never, no, like, Chuck.
0: You, you're being vicious there, Chuck. I mean, I mean, if we bring it back to this planet just temporarily, if I have to cross from the West Coast to the East Coast, and if I'm altitude and we come and play at sea level... There's recovery, then there's oxygenation and ability to... Process. These things Are these not factors that are relevant?
3: Of course they're relevant. Just like home field advantage is relevant, right? Well, not not at anymore, because there's no fans. <laughs> right. No, but playing at Fenway is different than right. playing at Wrigley Field. The green monster matters. And yeah. Boston players, Boston selects their players in part... Because they're looking for people who have the natural skills that will exploit the peculiarities of their park, as did the Yankees for so many years. Because the 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 right field
2: line was one of the shortest of all ball fields. Uh, It was something like two hundred ninety six feet or something. It was very short, and so the Yankees had a lot of lefty sluggers that that racked in the home runs Mm. uh, simply because that short porch. Out on right field. And in fact, if you, you're right, Matt, we don't go back to the record books and say, you know, half your home runs were at 310 feet and they would not have been a home run in any other stadium, but you happen to play for the Yankees, so we're going to subtract those. We don't do that. We just allow the circumstances to be the expression of that, of that ability. So that's an interesting take on this. Uh, do, do you know uh, the tug of war used to be in the Olympics as, a, as, an, as an event? And hmm. the rule was, everyone in the tug of war had to be the same profession. They had to be a group that made sense that they competed together. So they all had to be like medical doctors or they all had to be, you know, soccer players. They all had to be policemen or, or, and so it turned out that the mounted police always won because they, you also had to wear your native uniform and they all had these steel reinforced boots. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they realize this is a stupid event and let's right. just get rid of it.
1: They're so, also all used to pulling on the reins of an obstinate horse. So like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> oh,
3: there yeah. you go. So yeah. I mean, the closest I've seen to this, my wife was a hydroplane racer. Wow. And wait, wait, she was a what? A hydroplane a racer. A hydroplane racer. She was mm-hmm. the national champion. That's a holy thing. crap. It's these insane. little boats that fly across the water. All and the it's, actually- it, it's one of the coolest sports ever, it by is, the way. So her class had a weight limit. And she was like the only woman. She weighed way less than everybody else. And they actually made her put a plate of lead yeah. in the bottom <laughs> oh, of her boat right. so that she could meet the weight limit. And she hated it because everybody else, you know, you're, you're there and you're driving and you lean. And you move your whole weight. And she could not move the lead plate. It was just stuck on the bottom of the boat. And she could lean, but she was leaning with much less mass than why all the they, guys why she was competing against.
2: Why they load pockets in a vest on her so that she could lean with the weight and match other
3: people's uh, capacity? She decided the lead weight was better. I mean, she was ridiculously – and she, she beat them all anyway, so she was fine. But um, – <laughs> wow, well, she's that. She's, she's just that game. competitive. That's she all She's, she's just like
1: I could have. I could have destroyed you instead of just beat you. <laughs> wow. Oh man, dude. That's- also, that's also the-
2: speaking of home field advantage in an interplanetary contest, so hmm. it would matter if you played your sport in on your planet, right? I mean, that would matter. Presumably. Yeah. That would be the, the ultimate home field advantage because you know your gravity and your air quality and your your um, all the peculiarities of your environment. Plus, Neil, that you would if express. I
0: have to travel from planet A to planet B and it's X amount of light years, I have to get there and acclimatize. <laughs> Therefore, it's a recovery. I'd have to turn up however many years in advance to <laughs> years acclimatize, <ahead> of time <laughs> plus my journey. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know it'll be it'll be like
2: the 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 the, the uh, what do you call it in tennis where there's the four events, but they're not all on the same. The Grand kind of slam. Sport. So The Grand Slam. So the so Wimbledon is on grass. Yeah. And who is it on clay? Uh, is it
0: Ronald Garris. Roland Garros. Yeah.
2: The French Open is on clay, and then you have the concrete. You know, at Forest Hills. So. That's interesting. So if you if you do the whole circuit, then you need a combination of abilities, so which is what makes winning the full Grand Slam so that, so much more impressive than yes. anyone who only has the talent for just one. So no, that's cool. That's All right, cool. let's
0: get let's get another one of our Patreon patrons. Okay, questions. go ahead. Go ahead. He is the delightful name of Craig Woolhouse, and he is from New Zealand, where he's mm-hmm. proudly flagging up the fact that that they stopped COVID. Congratulations! Yes. Um, if a game of basketball, it helps
2: hel- when you're a tiny island and you don't let anybody in. Okay, go on. Don't tell them that; that they
1: there. won't listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're very—they're a very <laughs> proud nation, <laughs> okay. and uh, they're great at rugby. Uh, mm-hmm. If. Plus, I don't want—I don't want anybody showing up here doing the hop. That's, <laughs> okay. that's
0: that's a hundred percent for certain, right? He says, if a game of basketball is held on Mars indoors with Earth's atmospheric pressure, would we finally be able to dunk it from the three-point line, and would it count as a three? Or do we need another planet? And he says,
2: Oh, I, I uh, like that, and we will get to that answer when we come back. On Star Talk Sports Edition.
3: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: Time now for another Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons. Erdem, Memis, Yazichi, Priscilla and Kyle, and Steven Severin. Guys, you're the greatest. Thanks for helping us make this show the best that it can be. And for anybody listening who would like their very own Patreon shout out, please go to patreon.com slash star talk radio and support us.
2: We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. Cosmic Queries. We started out with March Madness, and we're now we're thinking about sports on other planets, what role AI could play in predicting winners. And we've got Matt Ginsberg with us, uh, becoming a friend of Star StarTalk. Uh, so it's not your first rodeo with us. Thanks for coming back, Matt. So we're picking up on a question. I love this question. If you could restate that. Of uh, course, it's yeah. from
0: Craig Woolhouse. He's one of our Patreon patrons, an exclusive member. And he says, if a game of basketball was held on Mars, indoors with Earth's atmospheric pressure, would we finally be able to dunk it from the three-point line and would it count as a three, or do we need another planet? And then he science the one that MJ, that's Michael Jordan, came from. So, uh, hmm, your answers, yeah. please. <laughs> so, Matt, if you could,
2: if you have anything to add to what I say, I'd be delighted for you to sort to, to of jump in. But uh, on Mars, there's about 40% of Earth's gravity there. So if you weigh, you know, 100 pounds... On Earth, you weigh 40 pounds on Mars. And all of your musculature is accommodating the 100 pounds that you weigh. So now you only have to sort of move 40 pounds, uh, sort of up against gravity. So you can jump higher. Uh, and you fall more slowly. Oh, okay, that's the so important So the hang part. time yeah. is there, okay? So if you can jump higher and you have good hang time, and if you get a good running start... I'm thinking, I didn't run all the equations on this, but I'm thinking you could dunk from the three-point line and count it as a three-pointer because you would not have touched the ground and the ball wouldn't have hit the ground in between the three-point shot line and and the main basket. Matt, what do you think of that?
3: I think that's right. I mean, certainly from a rules perspective, that's the easy part of the question. Um, you know, you take off from behind the three-point line, it's a three-pointer. I haven't done the calculation either. I suspect... That a second is still a second, and a meter is actually what's reduced by 40%. So you probably can jump like two and a half times as far. Mm-hmm. And given that Michael Jordan can dunk from behind the three point line anyway, my no, no, guess he, can, is that no, no
2: he, he can dunk from behind foul line. The, the foul line, not the three point line.
3: Well, did anybody ask him to try?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, just, just something to be clear about what he's actually doing which is not obvious unless you analyze it. So generally, if you're trying to dunk, the point where you're dunking is the highest part of your arc because the rim is 10 feet up. Whereas Michael Jordan from the free throw throw line, he is not still ascending at the point he's dunking. He has already peaked in his parabolic arc, and he's on his way down. So he had to jump that high in order to make all of that happen. So if you watch his arc... He's on his way down. So it doesn't have to be sort of the limit of where you're jumping. Provided you got up high enough, you could just descend into the dunk. Okay, I I
0: want to sound like the smart kids in this conversation. So I didn't do the calculations either. However, I know if we're doing this with this sort of ability, I'm making the court bigger. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the rim taller, the rim higher? Yeah, I'm raising the bar, I'm, I'm stretching the court, and yeah, because if I if the hang time is seconds, plural, then it's a different game. If we play it on this particular, people will be flying out the arena. It's no, a we, better game. Yeah. I so like no, wait, wait, wait. But, but if you do I, that, then you're neutralizing all these interesting features
2: of the Martian basketball court.
0: Right. But, but then again, it's it's more like basketball. Because we've kind of made it equivalent in the size of the court, as opposed okay. to an earth court. Yeah, I, know. Okay. I think it's
3: it's way more complicated than that, right? Are you going to make the hoop bigger? If you're shooting from so much further away, you have to make the hoop bigger, but then the inside game becomes tremendously different. Right. So I think right. it's act. I don't think you can. You can't rebalance it. It's going to be a different game.
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
3: So here, that, how, very that, good
2: point. Right. Just to be clear, to, just again to add emphasis to Matt's point, you shoot the ball at the basket. And there's a certain margin of error in angle, outside of which you're not going to make the basket, right? And that is true in any gravity, right? So, so that you're not helped in a lower gravity by this sort of margin of error angle. So, if you're going to shoot from twice as far away, then you're going to make half as many baskets because that the the angle will no longer accommodate the distance over which. The ball is veering off course.
1: Unless you're Steph Curry. But <laughs> but I will, right. I wanna, I wanna just litigate Steph this. Steph Curry me. on Mars. That's a new movie. A That's new, a, we gotta yeah. do that. I just so want to litigate one quick point for you guys to, to figure out, okay? If shooting a ball from behind the three-point line is what entitles you to the extra point, why would dunking the ball from behind the three-point line still get you that same extra point as it's is your feet? Well no, the shot actually happens
3: at the rim. Okay, no, no. So no, here it is. A guy no, I, standing I, at the three point line, leaning forward. Right. So his hands are inside the three point arc, That shooting, still gets a three points. He's okay, still so so not only that, that, you
2: <laughs> can jump from behind the three point line, land inside the three point line, and it counts as a three point. So,
1: okay. So it's right, I do got your feet but it's all about the feet it has nothing to do with the actual shot it's yeah, just it's the, the position exit, the of your feet okay. correct alright gotcha okay. yeah so
2: technically it works it's, it reminds me of the, the movie What? which was it the stupid movie but it was entertaining where they invented the alley-oop in the movie and in the alley-oop it's like is that legal you know the first alley-oop you gotta look at it and say did anything happen illegal there I can't think of it. it should be illegal but apparently it's not
0: and we kept it
1: all right there you
0: go all right. Cool. Uh, All right. Another no, question. This yeah. is another one of our Patreon patrons, James Senior. He says, uh, a question about AI. When do you think we will actually have AI in a sense of an actual artificial consciousness? Also, how would this be achieved? Would it come from an algorithm or from actually uploading the human consciousness into a computer or by love other means? So we've dropped the ball. Time out. Uh, Halftime, whatever you want to call it, and we're now thinking about AI. Matt, over to you. There's some
3: there's some assumptions underlying that question that I don't know if they're right. So I, I think getting uploaded into a computer, if if that happens to me before I I uh, before my I guess my warranty is up, that would be fine with me. But I don't think that counts as an AI. That's just Matt inside a computer somewhere. So the question of of what it is to be intelligent, actually becomes important and interesting. Hmm. Historically, the definition of intelligence was able to pass the Turing test, which is something invented by British mathematician Alan Turing. Shipping, yeah. And it basically says, if I'm on one end, you're typing into a computer, and an entity is typing back. And if you can't tell if that entity is a machine or a person, the machine's intelligent. Okay. If you get back to what I said earlier about the 49% versus the 99% problems, the machines that look sort of, quote, intelligent, unquote, are going to be the ones that solve the 49% problems. They're going to do things we can't do. They're going to solve problems we can't solve. But they're not going to look like us. They're not going to pass the Turing test. They're going to... I don't know how they're going to deal with traffic lights, but it's scary. They're And... But they're going to be great at trading stocks. They're going to be great at predicting who's going to win sporting events. They're going to be great at predicting the weather. They're going to do all sorts of things and help us. And they're going to have something that we, I think, will come to think of as intelligence. That There's not going to be a, a moment where all of a sudden they go from not intelligent to intelligent. We're already seeing that. As machines
2: I think you're also implying that we should not hold consciousness as the metric of whether <laughs> the thing is intelligent or
3: useful or can get I the think, get the job done. That's right, because I don't know what consciousness is. I well, mean, I are we waiting say. for a machine to say, hey, leave me alone? I haven't had my coffee? Because <laughs> that's not that's never gonna happen. Why would we build machines like that? Why would be we build machines that are grumpy and machines that need coffee?
1: Well, so, the fa- the fantasy always is that the machine will come to this state of being on its own through some evolutionary achieve, process. It will achieve a- consciousness. All right, it will. So it it wasn't designed that way. It becomes that way yeah. through so many experiences that it is able to decipher for itself that it indeed
3: is sentient and conscious so then the number of times that things happen in the movies is not a tremendous indicator of how frequently they will happen in real life and i don't i don't see go just that, did, way. that was just a diss chuck in case you don't i never said it came from a movie i said
2: it was uh, the, allow me to just say fantasy the, that, that was a diss okay going so
3: polite um, one at that i don't think it's going to be like terminator I think we're gonna find that these machines are our partners. We can do things, we can solve problems they can't, they can solve problems we can't, and we will collectively do more than either of us could do individually. And I think, and that's now, that's today and tomorrow, as far as will they eventually so completely surpass us that we become unnecessary in some way. I don't know. Maybe in some far off land, but I imagine that far off time. I imagine that the team, the man machine team, is going to be so much better and it will grow we will grow together. We will work together to always do things that we can't do individually. I'm incredibly optimistic about this. I think although it's going you to be did say fun.
2: you did say, just to let the record show, that the future of machines probably won't be a terminator. That's I don't know how encouraging that is because any Terminator at all would be bad. Yes. I'm just
3: yes, <laughs> okay. and i I think that you know could we we could get there if we worked at it, but that would require an enormous amount of stupidity by a relatively <laughs> large number of people, and that's and that's why it's just probably never underestimate because, because, because yeah,
2: exactly because yeah, humanity's never, never
0: proved, yeah, humanity's never proved that that they can do that ever. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, Matt, if if machines are constantly learning, that that part where they can't solve the...
3: The f- 100% problem. The yeah, 99% very well.
0: Problem. There'll be a point where they can. And I then, then are we not redundant?
3: I don't know, but there will be a point where they can. They really do. They're different. So they're architecturally different, right? So we have a trillion neurons mm-hmm. operating on millisecond time scales. Yeah. Machines have, even these massively parallel machines have thousands of processors operating on nanosecond time scales. We're different architectures. We should be good at solving different kinds of problems. And I, you know, could you eventually simulate a human brain and computer and make it all sort of the same? But then why would you, is the point. Yeah, I, but, I love it. I, I love this angle on it. There's so much, There, you know, it's like, it's like somebody you're your parents, for your 18th birthday, buy you a Porsche and you say, I only want to use it to drive up the driveway and get the mail. Nobody would do that. You're going to use the Porsche as a Porsche. We're going to use these, these computers well, that have abilities we lack in the areas where we need help.
1: Just learned that I've been using my Porsche wrong all these years. <laughs> <laughs> but you got your mail fast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> The early internet. Let me
2: get to my mailbox as fast as I can. We got time for one last question if it has a quick
0: answer. All right, so, I, think, I think we've got to go back to The Factor Man and God's Algorithm, Matt Ginsburg's book. Didn't you want to know something? Yeah, I just, like I just that? I, I let's tell me what that. happens. In, what That's a novel, so, right? Yeah. What is, is God's equation? Um,
3: it's about a guy who finds what's called God's Algorithm. It lets him solve basically any problem. And my view is that he's anybody who finds this is it's a race, whether the government kills him or he takes over the world first. And this guy realizes he realizes he's in this race. He doesn't actually want to take over the world. He, he mostly just wants to go to Disneyland with his kids. And it's about his attempted journey to make the world a better place before this technology is used to, to mess everything up.
2: So this is a
3: thriller. It's supposed uh, to be fun. uh, This is,
2: uh, uh, this is a, um, uh, do you have confidence that such a, an
3: equation exists, such an algorithm exists So there's, in this This universe? is the biggest open question in computer science is whether such an algorithm exists, and I believe it does. Confidence is probably a little bit too strong because I'm in a pretty small minority. Um, people occasionally measure it, and I think, I think something like 10% of the serious computer scientists believe it, something like that. And that would give you minor.
2: access, you'd be able to tap future knowledge of systems that would be without precedent in the history of civilization. That you would make can, you all powerful.
3: Um it makes then you, you can all move out normal.
2: of your parents' basement where you are right now. You say this is
3: you <laughs> Neil. Yes I can <laughs> I can go get the butler back out of quarantine. Get and, the butler, uh, get and the butler start out of it up like, I, would like it. I love that. Get the butler
1: out of quarantine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to call it quits there. Matt Ginsburg, great to have you back. Always. On Star good. Talk Thank Sports you. Edition. Thank you. And it's there's more fun. to plumb in your uh, in your expertise on these topics, and we'll surely come back to you on this. Thank you. that would okay. be great. Excellent. And Gary, always good to have you, man. Pleasure, my friend. All right, Chuck, Chucky Baby. Hey, Love man. you there. We'll see you. All right. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, bidding you farewell from Star Talk Sports Edition. As always, keep looking up.